this is going to be an account of how we keep our animals. So let, I, I wanted to start this episode because there's there's a few um, wars going on in, in the retake industry about uh, husbandry keeping and, and, you know, it's always a hot topic of debate. So the first thing I want to start off with is just identifying there's no cookie cutter way to keep retakes. Everyone's going to be keeping them a little bit differently, but what we're going to be doing is just kind of outlining um, just the, the overall basic husbandry. So um, Nathan, jump into to temperature while I plug in my laptop because I realize I don't have it plugged in. Uh, yeah, I mean, temperature for me, uh, I, I do upper 80s for my hotspot and mid to low 70s for my cool spot. I do a gradient uh, in my in my caging. All of my caging runs right now on uh, belly heat. I think in the future, I would like to switch that to uh, heat panels and just change up my, my style of keeping a little bit. Uh, I think I think every keeper though, if you ask them, are they totally dialed into how they want to be keeping their animals? I think they'd all say that there's adjustments they'd want to make. And, you know, I'm happy with where my animals are at right now, but there, there are a few minor adjustments I want to tweak with, with my keeping. So, uh, heat panels being one of those, uh, I just feel like the belly heat, you have to, you have to crank it up a little bit for the heat transfer between the plastic and i've heard of almost all the fires in the industry happening from from heat tape yeah and that that just scares the hell out of me so uh yeah what about you man totally so i i think i i've i've had the opportunity to be able to keep my animals on heat tape um and you know or or um uh, what are those things called? So heat mats. Um, so I've, I've done heat tapes, heat mats, uh, I've done heat panels and I'm currently now using ambient, um, to control the entire room. So just for you listeners that are very new at this, there's two different main type of temperatures that you need to measure in your snakes enclosure. The first one is going to be a gradient. So if you are using a heat panel or heat tape or heat mat, anything equal to, to that, you're going to want to buy a temp gun. So uh, that's going to be an infrared temp gun. You can get them on Amazon uh, for as little as 25 bucks, and they are going to be within one degree as accurate as the ones that are $100 in my experience. I have gotten... Uh, a Milwaukee brand temp gun uh, that was $120. Yes. Uh, um, so for those of you listening, uh, Nathan just got his uh, temp gun out. Uh, what brand is that? Because that's the, that's the very, uh, that, I love that brand that's on Amazon. Uh, E-Tech City. E-T-E-K-C-I-T-Y. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I it's it's often overlooked by me. But when it comes down to the really important parts of my keeping, um, let's say, obviously dialing in a cage, it's gradient hot to cold. But once you have a cage dialed in, you're pretty well set. 
Uh, but where <laughs> I find that heat gun comes in really handy is if I have an animal I need to soak or say it had a dirty cage, any reason I need to soak, I can really dial in the water temperature. You know, they could, they could probably handle cooler water than I give them, but you know, I can dial in that water temperature. So I know that they can sit in that water for a good hour or so, and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about them cooling down, developing an RI, anything like that. Yeah, totally. The, the, yeah, that temp gun is going to be your best friend throughout. Um, and, and so when you're keeping your snakes on a gradient, that means that you have a hot side that you're using from an external heat source, which is, you know, the panels or the heat tape. And what you want to do is use that temp gun and you're measuring the floor temperature. Um, and like Nathan said, that floor temperature, when I kept with a heat panel or with heat tape, I kept my floor temperature at 88 degrees as the hot spot. Um, I even did have some animals at 88 degrees. They weren't a fan of, and I drop it down to 86, 86 to 87. And, and they were a little bit happier, right? I, I didn't see them yeah. as active or pushing. Um, and, and the biggest reason why I, I noticed that is because the ambient temperature. So that is the temperature of the air inside of the enclosure and inside of the room uh, was causing that snake to be a little bit hot. So, when you're measuring air temperature, Nathan, I don't know if you did this, but when I was using a uh, gradient style heating on the cool side of my enclosure, I would uh, put a uh, digital thermometer um, or, or just something to measure the temperature. So popular ones on, on Amazon or Gobi, um, I spent a little bit more money and got a sensor push system and would even have some mounted in the enclosures. Those are extremely accurate so that I could also measure the the air temperature. Um, and what I found when I was keeping on a gradient, if I had my hotspot in between 86 and 88, and I had my ambient temperature on the cool side in the upper 70s, my snakes were very happy. That's interesting. No, I've, I've never kept uh, any kind of extra thermometer in the cage to measure air temps. Um, I've just measured floor temps. And then, I mean, basic air temps by just raising up the, the thermometer just up into the enclosure, you know, just the point and shoot. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's never been a big concern of mine as long as my floor temps are right. Um, yeah. my, my enclosures that I first started out with were only a foot tall. So, and I, I still use them. Uh, for some of my smaller snakes, but uh, I, I think now that I have enclosures that are a full two foot tall for a couple of the girls, that's a little bit more of a concern. So I have measured and it still stays within the lower 70s up where their shelf is. So nothing. Okay, cool. Nothing concerning. They seem happy. They don't push. You know, they, they seem to act as happy as they did in their old, old enclosures, if not a little bit more. Yeah. When, when I wasn't measuring air temperatures in the, so my very first year of breeding, um, I came across um, an issue where uh, my female took 50 days to lay her eggs. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar, it's typically around 35 days. So I was starting to get concerned. And what I realized is I had my snakes in my house, like most of you guys 
have them in your house. I'm assuming if you're buying your first few retakes, you don't have a facility to put them in. Um, if you have a temperature controlled room that's separate from the rest of your, your house, then awesome. You're ahead of the game. Um, but what I found was I had them like in a uh, kind of like where a breakfast table would be next to the kitchen. Um, super awesome for when guests come in. They're like, hey, let me go and go in the kitchen. And they see a bunch of snakes. I don't recommend having them in an area where a bunch of people can see them. But hey, hey, um, I don't knock it. Richard Bilbo has his collection <laughs> set up to where almost every room in the house is snakes. And I, I, I think he has the coolest house in, in all of Utah. So <laughs> I, I need to go there badly. I've seen videos of people going over. I think Reach Out Reptiles did one of going to his place. And yeah, his, I mean, for us, that's like heaven. <laughs> yeah. I, I desperately need to make a trip down there. I can make a pit stop over to Spencer's now. So cut the trip into two pieces. It takes, you know, I think, just over two hours from me to get over to Richard's house. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, man, that's, that's a luxury. That's awesome. Um, in San, I don't, I don't really think in San Antonio, I mean, we have big retake people over in Houston and, and other areas in Texas, but I think the closest drive I have to any really big retake keepers is probably two, three hours. So I guess pretty similar to you, but, um, back to what I was saying about my first, breeding experiences i i would measure so my my female ended up getting gravid and i was measuring the floor temp of her enclosure at 86 to 88 and i was like oh that okay we're we're money we're good um but i was given some input on after it was like on day 40 someone told me like hey take your temp gun so remember your temp gun is going to literally be your best friend and temp the snake and see what temperature the snake reads so she was gravid in the months of november and december and it got cold and so i i i tempted her and her body was only 81 82 degrees and i was like oh so so that clicked with me and i realized like wow okay so even if my hot spot's at 88 but the ambient in my which by the way the ambient in the room was like 69 to 70 because we had a two-story home and so if i if i put the heater on at 70 degrees the downstairs would be 70 degrees where the snakes were but my room upstairs would be like 78 and i'd be cooking um and that's when i realized okay like i need to start using some external method of heating that room that the snakes are in to make sure that I can keep that room in like the mid seventies. And, and my second year of breeding when I did that, um, and I made sure, um, my hotspot was 88 and my, my, the room, I, I used an external oil filled radiant heater on a separate thermostat to keep that room at 75 because I have a baby and I can't just have my house super cold with a baby and I can't have it super hot. Um, yeah. I mean, and on on that she, note, I mean, I I live in Utah in a, in a house built in the '70s with single pane windows, so I think that thing that you had to had to pull together because you're not used to having to deal with a such a cold spike like you did that year, especially, is having that external heat source. I mean, that's something that I I just had to do because you know if I were to leave this room with just the heat from our heater it can easily drop below 
mid sixties can get yeah you know a little concerning. Yeah. When I walk into so my I sleep learned... room and I feel cold, I I just feel like there's a problem. Exactly. I I learned that the hard way um, because that costed me some of my clutch. Now, um, mm-hmm. now I made those adjustments, learned from that mistake of my very first year of breeding and my second year, my female laid on day thirty five. Um, and, uh, fertility rate, everything was better. Um, and so, uh, air temperature in the room is important as well when you're using heat panels and, uh, heat tape. Um, one thing, so like Nathan, you've used heat tape, um, exclusively, exclusively, right? You haven't used heat panels? Exclusively. Yeah, I actually preferred heat tape, even when I had panels. And the reason why early on I found out is because if my room temperature is too low, the heat panels don't do the job that they typically do. Um, I even talked to like pro panels on the phone and they're like, yeah, if you don't keep your room at like 72 degrees or panels, I wouldn't recommend them. And when they told me, I'm not going to recommend my panel to you if your room gets below 72 degrees. That was a big thing because they're losing out on a sale potentially, but they were being very honest, which I really appreciated. So well, I stuck with my heating. When you're dealing heat with tape. a heating element, you have to be upfront about that because if it's yeah. overpowering, you're you're running into issues where it can malfunction and cause fires. So totally. Um, so uh, you know, there's there's also another way of keeping retics, which is to keep them in a fully ambient environment so which is what i just switched to back in march um i'm using a mini split uh with a misa smart thermostat to control it that i can control on my uh, smart home on my iphone and i keep my my goal is to kind of replicate the temperatures throughout the year of the dry dry and rainy season of indonesia and so my temperatures range from um, about 81. Sometimes it gets a little bit lower than 81 at nighttime, depending on the outside temperature, um, up to about 84, 85 at most. But when it hits 85, I get a notification. I switch it immediately and I make sure that it goes down. So I'll touch 85 for a bit and then it starts to go back down. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've noticed, uh, you know, my snakes have been digesting really well, very quickly, um, and, um, have been doing really, really well with the switch to, to ambient. Now you mentioned just a minute ago that you're, you're trying your best to keep it to the temperatures of the dry and rainy seasons in Indonesia. Now, are you tracking those temperatures, uh, live via just the weather apps or are you, uh, just going off historic highs and lows during those seasons? What are you doing there? All right, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. So um, what I did was search through an archive online. Um, so I just I Googled like historical monthly temperatures uh, throughout the months uh, on three different islands, on Kalatoa, on Salaire, and on Ternate Island. And I took those average temperatures for the rainy and the dry season. And so um, here in San Antonio, the... Uh, dry season is clearly during the summers and into the fall and part of winter. We do have some rain that comes in the fall and then, uh, you know, into 
you know, once we get into March, rain starts coming again. And so what I do is just go off of that. And so the average temperature low that I saw was actually pretty surprising. It was about like the average low of those three, it can get down into the 60s, <laughs> which is crazy. But we, I also have to keep in mind that there's microclimates in each of these and the sun that hits any rocks and things like that, you know, they, they are able to keep warm. So I just yeah. decided to go with a range from 80 to 85 yeah, based off a, of the information and very, data. I mean, their, their air temperature is such a general guideline because you're, you're having to take into account those rocks heating up. Uh, the cave systems that some of these animals live in, uh, as humidity. well the wa- uh, humidity, the water temperature that these animals are going into, and the river systems that they're they're migrating through. So, I mean, they they can handle yeah. probably a wider range than we're comfortable giving them, especially when you look at water temperature. I'm I'm really curious the next time. Uh, especially that Daniel Solis goes out. I want to hear what water temperatures are like in some of these river systems that he finds them swimming through. Yeah, that would be super interesting. I, I stopped giving, so like when I first started keeping retakes, I'd put the water on like cold, right? And I'd fill up their water bowl with nice, fresh, cold water. And then I started realizing, I was like, they don't have cold water. You know, unless it's mm-hmm. it's part of the cold year. And so um, I started giving them kind of room temp water. Um, and, and now that my room is ambient, you know, if I do give them cooler water, it's going to raise up to room temperature in no time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned, um, you talked a little bit about humidity. And I was going to say, just in my experience with keeping an ambient, you'd be surprised when my dehumidifier is full of water in the reservoir and so it's no longer dehumidifying the room how easy it is for that room temperature to go up quicker when the humidity increases so that's something to keep in mind in the wild when they're experiencing you know rainy season the humidity increasing is is making it feel warmer um that that air is feeling warmer at least my observation with my system setup but um so just to recap, so that we didn't go off on a tangent for y'all. Uh, Nathan, you we keep your hot side at 88? Yeah, hot side's 88, 88.5 at the high end. Uh, like you said, it just varies animal to animal. If I see them overactive or acting any any way out of the ordinary, I'll drop that temperature down. Um, and cool side what? Do you shoot for? Uh, so I I tend to see in my enclosures my my one foot enclosures I get a cool spot, probably around seventy four seventy five, and then the larger enclosures on the floor temperature I get about seventy five, and then up on the shelf I get about seventy three, seventy two point five cool. somewhere around there. Yeah, I and that was the same when I was keeping gradient. I would try to aim for a cool side in the mid 70s and a hot side in the mid to upper 80s. Um, one thing that I do want to preface is that your snakes are much safer with cooler temperatures than hotter temperatures. Absolutely. Um, I might get some 
kickback with saying this, but um, a lot of keepers, um, you know, a decade ago and even now, like to have a hot spot of 90 degrees. And if your snake is reacting well to that, yeah, me too, 90. Um, I found that I started dropping them because I started finding my snakes pacing more at a higher temperature. Mm -hmm. And the issue I didn't like about 90 is that for whatever reason, if whatever's monitoring your air temp in your room, whether it's an external heat source or your house AC conditioner, that goes out. It, it doesn't take much to, to get that 90 degree to go up to 91 or to 92. And once you get to that, it it, it, it long term for your snake, it's not good for their health. So I liked the buffer of mid to upper 80s that way. I had a two degree buffer to that 90 degree hotspot to make sure that their health and their well-being was taken care of. It's much, much easier to manage some cold temperatures and bump, bump up than, you know, have potentially altering effects from high temperatures. You're talking neurological effects, death. Yeah. There's so many bad things that can happen from heat. That's why... So many of us don't ship during the peak summer months. I mean, it's a lot easier to ship an animal with some heat packs than it is to ship ship an animal uh, and hope that it doesn't get stuck at a hub for a couple days in the midsummer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, so, do you do you you're in Utah? What do you try to hit your your humidity at? Yeah. So my my philosophy on humidity. Even here in Utah, one of the driest states in the country, uh, is just providing a, a large enough reservoir water dish for them to submerge themselves in. Now, I believe a lot of keepers are spraying, and I need to reach out to Utah keepers to see personally what they're doing and what has worked for them over the years, especially Richard, since he's been keeping such a long time and breeding successfully. But I... Uh, the only time I really miss down is when I see them going through a shed cycle. I, I like to pr- just bump up the humidity a little extra when I notice them go into blue. And I, if I hit that, I generally have complete sheds, no issues, no stuck sheds. And yeah, I mean, as, as long as you're getting that, your snake's healthy, eating, digesting, uh, drinking, I think you're fine. Yeah. So you're, you're, yeah, you're definitely in a unique situation um, it, for all of those that are in very dry states. And I, I guess it's really not that unique. I've just, I, I lived in Florida and now I'm in like the central Southern part of Texas. So humidity is not really an issue for me. So it's not necessarily unique, but um, so what, what I have, so humidity is important. Um, very important, but I think what it really goes down to in terms of getting good sheds, it, it really comes down to like their water intake. Um, I have had times where I've had snakes have perfect, perfect sheds with my humidities in my room measured at like 40. Um, and I think that's because like my method, like Nathan was saying, he sprays down while they're in blue and that helps him out. What I did And what I still do is when I notice a snake is in blue, um, right when they're just about coming off of that blue stage, I soak them. 
and I leave them in there for 45 minutes of a standard water soak. I aim for a water temperature of 78 to 81, 82. Um, and I soak them for about 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. I'll pull them out. I'll put them in the cage and I get nearly perfect sheds every time. Um, mm-hmm. Also keep in mind with sheds, with retics, once you start to get some longer retics, like eight feet, nine feet, perfect sheds rarely happen. So it's they not do, like keeping it, it, a corn. Yeah. Do yours have good sheds often? Like perfect or like there's no rips or tears? As long as I manage their their blue cycle then yeah so if i soak them if i spray them down and i'm managing their humidity through their shed cycle most of the time now like you were going to say it's a nine foot snake you're talking you know upwards of 10 pounds they're moving around the cage they're using they're using their body weight to get that shed off so absolutely rips and tears happen yeah, it's not going to be one of those nice ball python sheds where you can pull out and like hold um, perfectly all the time. Now, I, I do get those even with some of my bigger snakes, um, but but the larger that they start to get, the longer that they get, the more chances they have of ripping it just because of their body weight and the force that they're using to get the, the shed off. Um, but yeah, so my method is I soak. Nathan sprays. Um, I spraying do a is probably. Okay, cool. I do a little bit of both, but I, I tend to just spray. And then if I I have any issues or like every once in a while, there'll be tiny little patches or whatever. I'll soak soak them for an hour and then that's off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so when you don't have a good shed and they have a stuck shed, definitely soaking is the best way to help them with that. Um, Absolutely. So, so yeah, um, I, I believe a large part of having good sheds and the health of the snake has to do with humidity, but I think it equally is important that they're hydrated. So in order for that snake to be hydrated well, um, you need to have fresh water bowl, water in their bowl available at all times, and if not, as often as you can. And the reason I guess I say as often as you can is because life happens stuff happens and you might not be able to get to it right away. Um, but try to do it as much as you can, as frequently as you can. If you have the time to give your snake fresh water daily, go for it. Like I can't express the importance of, of water, but um, so I need to stop you here. So this has been, I wouldn't say controversial just because I, I mean, in my practices, this is how I've operated. Uh, but there's been people calling out other keepers and how they replace their water and how uh, some people think it's common practice to do water changes, you know, weekly. And I, I think, and this is just a total shot in the dark, but I'm guessing you replace your waters every other day or every two days, three days at the most. Yeah, three, three. So, yeah, three days is what I what I shoot for on on the long shot. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, would you let a cup of water sit on your on your counter for five days and then 
take a drink of that water. All yeah. the sediment so, from the air has been settling in it. I mean, it's just, if it's not healthy for you, would it be healthy for your animal kind of a thing? Yeah, That's exactly. how I approach that. Yeah, I, I think that the idea of replacing water on a weekly basis is, in my opinion, too long. Because whenever I, I replace my water, like I mentioned, at the most, I try to go three days. I have gone four days. You know, again, life happens, but it, it's two to three days. And the reason why is because when I notice I get to around day five, if, I, if, I, if I'm on vacation or whatever the case may be, and I empty that water bowl, the bottom is slimy. The water mm-hmm. bowl has like the water has a residue on it. Um, and not to mention... By the time I hit day three, more than likely, most of my snakes will have urates or poop stains mm-hmm. on the water bowl. Um, and, and that is clearly not not healthy for, for your animals. So, yeah, I mean, it is a big debate. And it is a big debate right now in the industry. But, but I'm going to err on the side of the more frequent water changes, the better. Um, yeah, the more healthy your animals are going to be um i've seen keepers that have had this massive revelation of this and they've been keeping for 20 plus years and it's it it, for me it's just like how is this not common sense to you you know this is water is the source of life it's what keeps us living it's what keeps us healthy why would it not be what keeps every other living thing healthy and thriving so yeah yeah that's a that's a big thing a lot of old school keepers need to really look at i think yeah and i think it really just comes down to you know if you're not replacing your water every three days or so um i mean even if we extend that to four days you know but if you're not not, no i'm not gonna harp on you i mean you can go the random week or so if you have to take off go on vacation you have no one else to help you like yeah you know there there's a point where you have to you know take your chances and be able to live your life to be able to continue keeping these animals but you know as soon as you're you're getting home what's the first thing you're doing you're going into your snake room and you're dealing with all those dirty cages dirty water bowls to make sure that your animals are happy and thriving. Yeah. And I think where a lot of keepers get away from doing it frequently is when they end up having a collection that's too large to do it that often. Yeah. And if, and uh, if that's, that's the case, then, you know, that's something that you have to kind of just see if you're, you're keeping your animals at the best of, you know, for their well-being, and if it's not for the best of their well-being, then that's just a conversation you have to have with yourself in the mirror, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's, it's, it's like anything else. There's philosophy. I'm not on taking how to a sip this. of water in a glass that's been sitting for four days. No, no, nor I'm gonna pour it out and get a new, fresh glass of water. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's common sense to me uh the whole the whole water (laughs) debate but it's worth it at least bringing up especially since we're we're talking husbandry tonight yeah 100 percent. so humidity um while i keep in in 
ambience of, uh, you know, while I keep ambient temperatures, I try to aim for a room humidity of 60%. I have a humidifier if I need it. I haven't mm-hmm. really needed it at all. I actually need a humidifier to keep it. So again, I, I keep little, I keep a little Govi square. I'm doing this weird square thing on video for those of you that are listening, but um, does that even look like a square? That's a square. Okay. So I, I keep one of those in there to measure the humidity inside because I, I realized when I was keeping my garage at 60% humidity, which is ideal for retics, um, in my opinion, what's worked for me, um, my cages were actually like 15% higher. And so I have my dehumidifier set to 50 um, and so that gives me about a humidity of 60, 65. Um, so that, that's, that's where I aim for humidity, because if you look at what the humidity is in Indonesia, again, guys, I can't stress the importance, like know where your animals are from, know what the temperatures are, know what the humidity is. Um, it's, it's a jungle in, in most, if not all of Indonesia. So therefore and, and it's going to be. These dwarfs and super dwarfs are living in cave systems. Have any of you that been in wet. caves? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not dry in a cave. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but but here is the concern about humidity with retics. Another husbandry one hundred and one that I think is important to talk about is cleanliness and how frequently you clean and the type of like bedding and husbandry that you have. We won't go into a bunch of detail because that could be a whole other episode, but. If you're keeping your room humidity or your cage humidity at 60 and your snake pees and then sits in that pee for a long time, that humidity spikes. And what happens when humidity spikes and you're creating an environment with a hot spot or warm temperatures, bacteria grows. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. Because bacteria is most of our most of our enclosures are dark, so it's a warm, dark spot with a high humidity spike. That is the perfect place for bacteria to thrive. Yeah, and and when bacteria thrives, and you're not on top of your husbandry, that's where our eyes become an issue. And res- which stands for respiratory infection. Um, and so when respiratory infections are, are when there is a, a, a host of bacteria and a recipe for disaster, res- you know, respiratory infections can, can definitely increase. So um, that, that's why we are talking about humidity in this husbandry 101. You want to create a balance of hydration, humidity, and cleanliness to keep your snakes healthy and happy. I don't think I have so, much more to add on humidity. We've hit about everything we can on uh, basic temperature. I do want to add in, um, you know, it is imperative that you're using a thermostat as elementary as that sounds. Uh, there's people getting into this brand new that may have kept a reptile 15 years ago using a plug-in heat rock and thought that was fine, and they they probably view heat tape the same way. So having a good thermostat (laughs) is extremely important. It can melt your tubs. It can short out, cause fires because it's running too high. 
just a host of problems that you don't want for your animals, for your house, for anything uh, in your life. Uh, my personal recommendation uh, has been Spider Robotics Herpstat. Any of the thermostats in that lineup are absolutely phenomenal. I know Freedom Breeder makes a, a solid uh, thermostat as well as uh, Vivarium Electronics. I'm sure there's a handful of others that I'm leaving out, but have a good thermostat that's going to regulate all of the heat sources to your enclosures. Yeah. Nathan, you, you just discussed like right there in that last sentence. So a thermostat is to regulate the temperature of your heat source and make sure it doesn't overheat uh, and make sure it maintains a, an accurate temperature. I've used spider robotics, herb stats. They're phenomenal. I've used Freedom Breeders. Phenomenal. I've used Vivarium Electronics. Great. Great thermostats. Um, I've even used Inkbird thermostats on Amazon that you can get for 50 bucks, and they've done the job. So um, an Inkbird even has thermostats as low as like $40. So there's no excuse to not have a thermostat to regulate the the the, the temperature of your heat source. Um, we'll we'll I'll, I'll drop the links. We'll we'll drop the links to all of these different brands and and where you can buy them um, in the description below for you guys to just have an easy access of clicking. And purchasing if you guys want to, um, as well as the, you know, the uh, temp guns and the Govi, you know, we'll make sure that that's Water all available dishes, for you guys. An anything that we can find that we use personally, we will link down in the description yeah. pertinent to the episode. I mean, Husbandry 101, this is an episode that we're probably going to have to break into two, three parts hit all of the subjects we need to hit but in all of these episodes that we drop we'll have a list of as much as we can of what we talked about through this episode nathan what what else do you think is important for basic husbandry for this episode that's important for our listeners to know As far as the topics that we're really covering today, I think I think we hit everything. Uh, one maybe really minor detail that I left out as far as misting goes, uh, I I have found in the past that uh, when I use tap water or if you have any kind of hard tap water, uh, it can destroy your misters over time so uh, i've always just in invested into distilled water uh, that always helps just keep my equipment clean uh, as far as water dishes i just go straight tap water because it's easiest i'm not dumping gallons of distilled water and having just gallons it in my storage at all time so you know that's super minor super super minor uh anything you want to hit on before we go 
Yeah. So, um, I, I, I have the luxury. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a water softener, um, that's made that easy. So if you guys have a house, um, and, and you have the money to invest in a water softener, um, not only is it great for your house and your appliances and all that good stuff, um, but it's going to make the water softer for your animals as well. Uh, I have, uh, you know, prior to me getting a water softener, um, yeah, I, I would just use tap water. Um, and, you know, it's a good point to make. Know, know how hard your water is in your area. Um, if, you, if it's within your means to get distilled water to be able to replace for your snakes, um, you know, go for it. You know, there, there's a, a, no issue with, with doing that. It's a little more costly, but, you know, if, if that's something that you want to do. Um, do you have any experience using, I, I have not in my, I, I never use those droplets of like the water. Um, there's like those droplets you could buy at Petco or on yeah. Chewy or, or Amazon that, that like take out whatever is in the distilled water. No, my water hasn't been too bad. Salt Lake City's water is not terribly hard, so I I just have have found that my tap water has worked for my animals, and you know I also uh, use a little bit of copper in my water. So yeah, it is an additive. I, I, I used to do that when when I didn't have a water softener, and um, it, it's it's crazy. I would. I, I bought a big thing of copper wire and I'd cut them and I'd put them in the bowl and you'd be surprised how how much less residue and that gooiness on the bottom occurs when you can put pure copper or as close to pure copper as, as possible into their, their water bowl. It was actually when I did that little experiment, um I, I saw that video on, on Reach Out Reptiles um a while back, probably, you know, close to a couple years ago and uh, experimented with that and it, it worked really, really well um, to, to keep the residue from building in those water bowls to keep it a little bit more fresh. Yeah, especially nice to have it in there. Just a little peace of mind knowing your water's not getting terribly dirty when you're out of town for four or five days, whatever. All right, man. I think we hit as much as we can on those couple topics that we're going to jump into for our first intro into Husbandry 101. So, Lucas, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. I want to thank everyone who's been listening and watching in for joining us on the Retic Lounge. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening or watching. And that helps us just tremendously. Remember, we also have a Patreon going. Become a lounger today. Check out the tiers and the access that each tier gives you. As well, we have US Arc. It's more important than ever that you show their support, show that our member numbers are up, and that we mean something. So go over to their YouTube, subscribe to their YouTube, go over to their Instagram, follow them over there, donate, become a member. Make your spouse a member, make your child a member, make your cousin a member, make your coworker a member. Get it done. Thanks, Lucas. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nathan. You guys have a good night and uh, cheers. Cheers.